When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Maggie Lake. It is September 9th, 2021. With me today is Tony Greer of TG Macro. On our economic radar today, U.S. weekly jobless claims showed fewer Americans applied for unemployment. Pretty good news for the labor market, but that wasn't enough to counter some of those lingering concerns out there, including the continued impact of the Delta variant in China's crackdown on tech. And then, of course, there was the direction of monetary policy. The European Central Bank announced it would slow the pace of the pandemic emergency bond buying it had to put in place, uh, although ECB President Christine Lagarde took great pains to say it was not a tapering of bond buying that is in place to support the Arizona economy. Jury seems to be a little bit out on that. U.S. stocks struggle for most of the day, ending down about a half a percent to yield on the 10-year back down at 1.30%. Tony, what did you make of the market action today? Well, not just four consecutive down days, Maggie. You know, it's something that we've got to at least be mindful of. You know, the S&P seems to be wanting to trudge higher, but we're doing a little bit of rotating around um, 4,500 in the S&P, which has been a new milestone. So um, I think the new dynamic recently for me that I've noticed is that, you know, the emergence of big tech performance once again, you know, FANG is up about 12% in the last three months, the FANG complex I'm talking about, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, and it's up 6% in the last two weeks. So it was interesting to see um, that become the leadership, the new leadership in the markets where prior to this, we had been in a more cyclical rotation with things like energy stocks and transportation stocks and industrials leading the charge. So there's been a little bit of a change in the rotation. It's a little bit choppy price action. But I think, you know, for the most part, the equity market is, you know, looking over at the macro markets right now. And it seems the same prices in the dollar that it's seen for the last several weeks, the same prices in yields it's seen. You know, yields are off the lows now. We're still in the middle of that one and a quarter, 140 range in the 10 year, if I may. Um, I think looking at those inflation market-based inflation expectations stay sideways is generally a positive for the markets. You know, there's no shocks in either direction. There's no spike in inflationary expectations, and there's no nosedive, kind of a Goldilocks effect, if we can call it that, from the macro markets. And, you know, in my opinion, and I'm sticking with this story, is that we've still got a really ferocious commodity rally broadly speaking, um, with different leadership changing hands there as well. So I'm really encouraged still about the markets and about, you know, the risk complex and taking risk in the markets. And I like that, um, you know, we're seeing different commodities take the lead. Aluminum, nickel today making new highs. Um, Natural gas has been on a tear with shortages and Gulf of Mexico outages. And so, you know, these are the things that keep the complex um, in a sort of steady baton handoff where yeah. the leadership keeps changing, but the index keeps going higher all by itself. You know, so that's kind of how I'm looking at the world. Yeah, it's funny the way you put it, because there's like no shortage of news when it comes to commodities. I mean, there's just a ton. And some of it, 
you know, contradictory or sort of cross currents. But when you look at stocks, you're right. There's no there's there's no sort of scary headline. But then I think that in itself makes people nervous. You know, people are saying, yeah, it's quiet. It's too quiet, especially in September. And, you know, you, you mentioned the tech stocks. People it seemed like people have been looking for them to sort of take a back seat. Right. They've had such outsized gains looking to try to put some money in work. I've been hearing people talk about that rotation trade. But every time they try to get out of tech stocks, it, it doesn't work or the timing's not right. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I think the only time that, that uh, tech had stopped performing and was sort of sideways to under pressure was when we really had yields firing at their highs before yields backed off the last time. You know, when we had the 10 year yielding around two and a half, uh, call it two and a half percent, two, two and a half percent. Um, that was the last time that I think we had the commodity markets flying away like this. And um, I lost my train of thought there, Maggie. What was that? Yeah, what that's okay. We, we were just talking about no news. It's too quiet. It's September, right? right? And so then you 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 want you feel like you should be rotating out so that you're in position, especially for this inflationary trade, right? But you, you try to step away from tech, and it takes off again, and we don't, you just you. don't see that follow through on that. Yeah, you brought me back in line there. It was when yields were higher was the only time that tech had stopped performing, and we had all of the natural resources stocks that were getting on the run. Right when the, when the oil market was getting going and the copper rally had just gotten started, so now that we've got you know yields back in this range, we're going to have to see what happens going forward. But as long as the commodities keep changing hands and finding another place to rally, I got a feeling that they're going to catch up. So I think that's what we're seeing now. The problem is that we had yields back to the lows for the last several weeks. Um, kind of a very, very confusing situation in the Treasury market. And so yields back on the lows, talk about the Delta variant. And next thing you know, technology is off and running again. And so yeah. I feel like that might be a little bit the explained explanation of the dynamic that we're seeing right now. Yeah, listen, and, and you know, you, you start to come into this last quarter of the year, uh, end of the year. Nobody, you know, uh, uh, you want a position, but you have to be holding the winners. I mean, you don't want to say you got out and missed a huge gain again in, t in technology. What about financials? We're, I want to I want to dive into commodities a little bit later, but you know when we're talking about looking at equities, I feel like there had been uh, interest in in having more energy exposure, maybe changing that, and financials. If you're thinking about yields going up, if you're thinking about this tapering happening, maybe you want to be exposed to financials. Are we just too early to do that, or or you know what what are you how are you approaching those sectors? No, I like the financial sector most recently because it just started performing again. If you look at the XLF chart, um, you know, it had been consolidating for quite probably the last three, maybe six months. And in the last, I would say, quarter, last month or two, financials have started, you know, cracking into new highs under the leadership quite clearly of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, which have taken the lead and just really started trending nicely. We've got Goldman Sachs well above $400 a share here, which is, you know, all time to all time highs and, um, you know, trying to find a level. So I don't, you know, if we're going to continue to expect that underpinning inflationary environment, we are going to continue to expect that the curve, broadly speaking, is going to stay at some, you know, level wider than, it, than we've seen it and potentially expanding. Um, the idea that we should be seeing break-evens continue to expand as we get to more economic activity and some more inflation, I think it's okay to be long the banks, especially now that they've come out of a six-month consolidation period and XLF is just starting to trudge to new highs again. But like you, I'm always trying to figure out, you know, where, where, which is the sector that's going to win the race as we head into the end of the year and which is really going to pick up 
and take pace in the last quarter or two, which is what we're looking at. Yeah, we, we've got a lot to sift through, and this may speak to some of the caution we're seeing in the market. Um, that you know, we 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 heard from the ECB today, and you know, when I said the jury's out, you know, you could see from the commentary, uh, Christine Lagarde, knowing full well the market are going to be reading everything and saying this lady is not tapering as she would, but other people are like, well, you can say that, but if you're starting to pair back in any way, shape, or form, I mean, they're not changing the overall size. But we're waiting for that Fed news. We're waiting to see what happens. Is it? Do we need to get past those hurdles to see some sort of breakout either way in equities? It feels like it's kind of like spiraling. But it, it and you and there feels like there's a sentiment that listen, we we've gone said what seven months now. We haven't had any kind of sizable correction in U.S. equities. We're due for one. We're due for at least some consolidation. But it doesn't seem like it happens. Seems like people want to see it. But but it but it it, it just doesn't get any traction on the downside. It's hard to fight the liquidity, I guess. Yeah, if you're if you're trading stocks from the short side, you have a extremely tight window to get out, a extremely short mar small margin of error, and a very short time wise window to cover your short. So yeah, it's been difficult uh, if you're trading it that way. If you're trading from the long side and you have confidence to buy the dip, you know we've seen that same formula continue to pan out where we have you know two or three negative days in the S and P consecutively. The the big tick index prints. Um, when markets are hitting bids, backing off the highs. And then we usually see some type of recovery from a 50-day moving average in a red to green day. And as long as that, you know, as long as that formula continues to hold true and we look over at um, the macro markets and market-based inflation expectations aren't gyrating and the bond market isn't dislocating lower to, to a surprisingly higher yield environment, you know, that to me is kind of Goldilocks scenario for the S&P right now, especially with the commodity strength that's kind of bubbling underneath. Yeah, we, we, we've talked about the fact that, you know, everyone waiting for the Fed. The thing that roiled the markets has been the inflation reads. Is that still the, the sort of risky data point that we need to be watching? You know, we saw, um, Maggie, back in May, we saw when we saw the first big headline inflation number hit. Right. That was a risk off moment. That was a sell the fact week for the S&P stocks backed off. Um, and it was just interesting to see that was the big first headline like, whoa, CPI above 5%. Right. And we've seen a couple of prints like that already. Tomorrow, we're expecting, you know, PPI to be on an 8% handle for the entire year. Um, you know, and bond yields are only creeping a little bit higher toward 135. Right. It feels to me it feels to me like the market can bear this, you know, yeah. like it, it feels to me like whatever the inflation reading is, I feel like that's the necessary underpinning to the deflationary forces of sort of the Fed expanding their balance sheet and the U.S. expanding our um, total deficit with more and more stimulus, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that inflation side of the trade is almost necessary component. Um, to keep this rally going. And it feels very much like it is. I mean, all the commodities feel like they're in pretty good shape to meet both technically and fundamentally. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I, I want to talk about another position. I don't know, though, if you got a chance for for anyone who's watching from the U.S. Of course, tonight is the beginning of the NFL football season. A lot of enthusiasm around that, especially now sports betting takes off. But uh, dropping in that is 
uh, Tom Brady, the, the goat, and Giselle out with a massive commercial uh, for a crypto exchange, FTX, reportedly paid them $20 million. I don't know if you've had a chance. To, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, calling everybody in his contacts, asking them if they're in, including a whole bunch of Boston fans who totally hate him. But, it, but it, it's very, very funny. It's kind of funny to see that happen right now. But I, I, I don't know if you're in Tom Brady's contacts, Tony. Maybe you are. But uh, no. if he's asking if you're in. I guess the answer is yes on Bitcoin. Well, yeah, you know, I just I just sort of, you know, I, I edited it as a new long to my view matrix um, just today, in fact, and not to sound terribly brilliant because I really swapped out of another cryptocurrency position. I was long Coinbase. I saw that they got served a Wells notice and I decided to say, you know, even though I like Coinbase um, as an IPO that likely succeeds, I'm going to swap that position into Bitcoin on this dip. You know, we saw the El Salvador story come out on Tuesday. I think it was um, they're, they're now going to accept Bitcoin. The platform that they were using sort of went down. Bitcoin collapsed 10 percent. And to me, it's been doing Bitcoin was, you know, Bitcoin was that fly in the ointment that I couldn't figure out how it was bouncing so sharply off of 30K. Right. I had Bitcoin written off for dead. Um, it bounced off of 30K, started getting itself back together above 50K. And I just did some studies on it and look back and say, you know, if we're looking for true inflationary hedges to the prices in my in my um, in my bills, my grocery bills that have gone up, the best hedge for it has been Bitcoin, which is up 300 percent over the last year. You know, you look at gold and gold's down 15 percent over the last one year period. So I've been looking for a spot to buy Bitcoin. It finally opportunistically fell in my lap above the moving averages. And if that were any stock, that's kind of the thing that I like to buy. So I'm waiting a little bit into the cryptocurrency market, into Bitcoin at these levels on the dip. And I'm interested to see that Tom Brady commercial. I have to check that out because the last time Giselle made a sort of vocal comment about currencies, if I remember correctly, was back in 2008 when she said she wanted to get paid in euro. And that was the dead ball high of the euro move and started cascading lower from there. So we'll see if this is a poignant moment for cryptocurrency. But um, it's interesting to see the great one piling into the FTX contract. That's for sure. For 20 million bucks, I'd probably say the same thing. Listen, this is why we need people who've been around for a little bit so we can remember those moments, because honestly, I had completely forgotten about that. But you're right. And, and let's hope not for anyone who's holding Bitcoin. Um, you know, it struck me. Uh, something else came to mind to me. You mentioned Coinbase getting served by the SEC. You know, this is going to air in one of the biggest viewed still live events. It's like waving a red cape at Gary Gensler at the SEC, who clearly is looking to come. So very bold. I don't know if I'm sure this was in the works a long time before this all happened this week, but we'll have to see if the SEC has any response or not. I just I do want to clarify something you said, though, is I think it's important. You weren't in Bitcoin. You weren't in Bitcoin, not because you had an ideological stance on you know, the value or the future of crypto. It sounds to me like more that this was just a, a price action issue for you when it came to Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, I like like anything else, Maggie, I, I'm not dogmatic about Bitcoin. Like I'm not dogmatic about the oil markets, about the commodity markets or anything. Right. I'm, I'm a trader and I have you know, you have these conversations going on constantly in your head about the securities that are moving that you may not fully understand. And, and I'm the first one to have my hand up that I still don't fully understand Bitcoin. 
But it's one of those things where, you know, I, I see another sovereign nation say, OK, we're going to accept this as legal tender. And while I don't really know yet if it's going to be the surviving currency, the surviving cryptocurrency, I'm, I'm in a position of being I've got to live in this world and I've got to trade in this world and I've got to figure out, you know, how to protect, you know, my wealth in different ways and looking for different instruments to do that. You know, when Bitcoin starts to perform and it's kind of elbowing its way into the macro conversation very clearly the way it is up 300 percent in the last year as, you know, a lot of inflationary forces start to take over. That's got my attention as a trader. And so when I have it kind of on my mental radar screen for a while, you know, it's kind of like the thing where, um, you know, you may not have liked a pair of sneakers for 100 bucks, but they hit you with the email and it's now 75 percent, uh, excuse me, 25 percent off. And you say, you know what, for this price, I'm in. And so that's how Bitcoin kind of fell into my lap. I did some of my technical screens. It looks OK. And we're going to put on, you know, I like the risk reward here. I think that it, yeah. I think the next 15, 20 K in price action can be higher in Bitcoin. And so that's kind of the way I'm betting on it right now. Very much just another standalone trade, just like anybody, any other trade in my portfolio. Yeah. And Tony, I think I think you articulated the, the point of view that, that a lot of people have as they're looking at this space, as they're trying to get their head around it. Um, there's so much happening right now. Um, by the way, uh, on Real Vision, for those who are members and who are watching, you probably see there's another deep dive coming out with Raul as he tries to sort of walk through some of the nuances of this quick moving market. So there's a new little mini series, I believe, coming out. And also for our monthly insider talks, Raul Powell and Julian Bridgeton, um, the, the regular series they do, which is open to all Real Vision members to watch, um, the one and only Harry uh, Melandri um, just asked Raul about the situation in El Salvador. Have a listen to what he said. Boyd asked, uh, could you share your thoughts about the developing or, if you like, regressing relationship between El Salvador and the world's banking community as it relates to the former's move to Bitcoin? Curious what to make of the news in this area. I think Julian talked about this. It's a direct attack on the system of money, the reserve currency state. Now, what's interesting is, you know, El Salvador's still using the US dollar, so it's not going away. It's not like they, they're saying they're going to price goods in Bitcoin. It's basically a remittance system and a place to stick some savings that the government can't destroy. So I think everybody's uncomfortable with how fast things are moving. And I think the answer is tough shit. I mean, other Latin American countries will do it as well. I'm not sure what the, at this early stage, what benefit it'll yet be. But over a 10-year cycle, I think it'll, it'll, it'll be very, very constructive for these countries. Uh, Tony, I, I do think it's w worth asking as you look at this, um, are, do you have regulatory concerns when you're going into this space? Is your time horizon short enough and you plan on being nimble enough that it's not something that's really, you know, uh, top of mind for you? Yeah, you know, I feel like if we, we, you know, we have everyone's got half an eye on Gary Gensler now in the SEC and what's going on, you know, sort of publicly between mm -hmm. Coinbase and the SEC now. And so, you know, they've got their eye on the lending program you know, I'm not a specialist in in Bitcoin regulation, um, but it seems like the atmosphere is OK for me, you know, in terms of yeah. something, you know, if I have to if I have to stop out of Bitcoin down, you know, eight or 10 percent and just hit a bid to get out, at least I feel like there'll be enough liquidity there for me to get out. And so that's always my main concern right. um, in terms of, you know, how I'm how I'm uh, looking at stepping into this investment. 
when I feel like I've, you know, we've kind of weathered a few regulatory bumps in the last couple of days. You know, the cat's out of the bag that the SEC is definitely looking at that while they're not looking at other things that we're not going to talk about right now. Um, so while, while my head is on a swivel and I am prepared to act in any kind of a negative, um, you know, regulatory environment, I, I'm not worried about it right now. And as a trader, I can't I can't really um, handicap when something like that is going to, you know, come to the foreground again. So I'm just trading right. this like anything else. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is, you know, as a, as an old school macro trader is I'm trying to apply, you know, my my decades of experience trading macro um, securities to this new currency and to see how it how it can fit into my trading and how it feels to have on and how it feels to live through a couple of weekends, you know, being long Bitcoin that trades, you know, pretty 24 seven. Um, so this is a kind of experimental trade, but it's still one that I can get behind, just like I could get behind buying oil on this dip or buying grains on the dip. It, it makes sense for me to have it now in my portfolio as the uptake continues and more and more influential people and countries, you know, employ it. Mm. Like I said, I have to live in this world. So let's figure out a way to trade in it. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And we're going to we're going to be following along and, and anxious to hear your thoughts about, you know, how the experience is and some of the perspectives you bring to it as somebody who, you know, has all this experience in some of these other assets, um, you know, how that applies and, and what um, what happens. You know, I, I um, we talked earlier about the fact that there is a lot of news for commodities, you know, for commodity traders for you to get your head around. And it struck me as we were looking at oil today. Um, we had news out that oil production fell by a record amount um, to a six-month low, but a record amount because of Hurricane Ida. No surprise for anybody who's seen the pictures coming out of the Gulf. I mean, you know, they're used to, the producers are, and refiners are used to hurricanes, but this thing was a monster. And, you know, a lot of the production remains offline. Um, so you would have thought that, you know, that would have been supported. But at the same time, China also unprecedented, tapping its strategic reserves for the first time. So there's a lot of cross currents right now. You know, what, what, how are you thinking about oil in this environment? Well, I'm trying to let uh, the spreads kind of dictate how strong the market is, is holding up. You know, at least it seems like, um, you know, with, with the calendar year and WTI kind of surfing the 200-day moving average higher, it's above $4 backwardation. I'm talking about the whole one-year curve in WTI from October 21 to 22. Um, as long as that sort of tightness maintains itself, um, you know, I feel like I've got a handle on the oil markets. You know, it seems like we got to a price in the 70s. We had that sell the fact OPEC meeting where they allowed the United Arab Emirates to increase their production. Um, you know, we saw a couple of dollars slide out of there from 75 or from mid 70s down to the high eight, high 60s. And I think oil can be in a range now is really how I'm looking at it, Maggie. It feels like, you know, the demand side is there. Um, you know, the structural side is there. The fundamental side is continuing to hold in. And unless we get another, you know, another real growth scare in another variant or something like that, you know, I still I'm still trading the energy market like demand is on the rise and supplies are on the decline. So for me, I'm still in a structurally positive market looking to buy dips. And until the market proves me wrong, that's how I'm going to keep playing the energy market. Yeah. And a lot of people are, are tracking energy. I mean, it, it, you know, not everyone listening maybe trades that, but a lot of people are looking at it because the man side's holding up or if it's increasing, you know, that's telling you something about global growth potentially. Um, and, and that's been the missing element for some people who are looking for that recovery. Um, is it just pushed out or is it is it just not there and is something else going on? Um, you know, metals have been, you mentioned metals have been on fire uh, lately. How are you positioned there? Is this, are you buying an index or are you trying to sort of 
you know, individually look at them or, or, or look at the producers? How are you trying to wrap your head around that? And what should we all be thinking about in that space? Well, the only thing I could say is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big technician. Obviously, I've been, I, I was ahead of the copper trade being long Freeport McMoran for a good portion of the run from $10 to $40, um, if not the entire run from $10 to $40. What happened there is we haven't we ran into another positioning issue where, you know, the industrial metals and mining sector, call it XME, you know, got to a peak and started rotating. And then what happened is copper backed way off of the highs, did a test of its 200 day moving average, um, you know, around 9200 or so, which it bounced off of. And then what happens is you saw aluminum, you know, with some Russian um, Russian cutting off some supply. You saw aluminum go and take the lead and make a run to the highs. And then in the last couple of days, you just saw nickel take the lead and run to the highs. And I think that speaks to procuring a lot of industrial metals for the green um, revolution that we're kind of pivoting into here. And so it, it's it's one of those scenarios where while base metal, excuse me, while precious metals, gold and silver are kind of sideways trading to to quiet trading, you look up every other day and there's mm -hmm. another base metal making a new high for the move. So when the complex get like gets like that, you know, I'm really focusing in on those stocks that are consolidating now in the XME and Freeport McMoran and trying to sort of get a hold of things like Alcoa that are rallying. But I think it's going to be another trade back into XME, into industrial metals and mining from the long side that's going to present itself next. Because for a while, it looked like copper was consolidating and could have curled over. And that formation that looked like a topping formation in copper now just looks like a sideways consolidation. And so if copper can get back on the run and start chasing aluminum and nickel and uranium and natural gas and everything else to new highs, you know, I think that could be a trade that catches fire again in the fourth quarter. Wow. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, it was one of the sectors that was right up there in the lead, right behind energy, right behind retail. Um, you know, and it was industrial metals and mining was next. And I think that, you know, while sort of banks and home builders have gained into the race now, mm. I, I don't want to count out industrial metals and mining between now and the end of the year just because they've been consolidating. I still think that there's potential to run there. So we'll see what happens. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Yeah, I think you, you bring up a really interesting point. I don't think we hear enough about them being part of the sort of, you know, uh, green revolution. I think people tend to think renewables and hydrogen and some of that, but there's a transition that happens in almost every phase, whether where you end up or in the transition, all of those things are critical to getting there. And we're talking yeah. about a pivot everywhere, including China, you know, this being top of mind for China. Um, and we know, you know, they can move mountains when they put their mind to, you know, addressing an issue like climate. And they made that change a few years ago. They've been continuing down that road. Are we underestimating the, the uh, you know, the benefit or the knock-on effect from that green revolution in some of these metals? Well, it could be, you know, it could be either that we're underestimating it or the trade is in motion and maybe, you know, got a little bit ahead of itself, you know, with the, you know, the rally off of the March lockdown lows and base metals has been astronomical, right? They've been outperforming, you know, almost everything except for Bitcoin. Um, and so, 
the, you know, the move, the moves get to a level and, you know, some of them peter out and some consolidate. But I, like you said, you know, with the with the pivot to the green movement and using, you know, what we're about to start using record amounts of lithium and other rare earth minerals, um, you know, to get there, you need all kinds of copper and aluminum and gas and oil. And so we're going to be leaning on a lot of the traditional commodities to get us through the green revolution toward more solar panels and, you know, wind turbines that aren't going to provide the same amount of energy that fossil fuels are. So we're, uh, to me, as long as, you know, this ESG movement is intact and they're sort of, you know, the administration is doing things like asking OPEC to increase production rather than asking the U.S. producers to increase production in order to cap the price of gasoline. You know, the, the, the green movement, you know, that's kind of proof that it's largely for show and that that's the way that we're going here anyway. Yeah. If that's the way that we're going here, if we're going to make it more and more difficult to invest in energy infrastructure, if we're going to make it more and more expensive to pull oil out of the ground, and yet we're not going to be able to do a full pivot toward, you know, electric energy for all, I'm going to tell you that the price of oil is likely going higher from here. And that, that's kind of how I'm going to continue to play that sector. Yeah, it's it's so all of these are so critical to that to that entire conversation. And I think, it, you know, for a lot of us, commodities can it, it, it's not something that is the first thing that we're investing in. So, so helpful to have your insight of someone who's been in that space for so long and can kind of take a new trend and then, you know, see sort of layer it on the existing market and, and help us figure out how it's going to be impacted. Um, that sure seems- trying my best, Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> we all are. Right. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about uranium. I don't know if you've been watching that. This is something I, I do not know anything about, but I was fascinated to see some of the developments going on. I know you've been talking about it a little bit for Real Vision. For for those who may have missed it, um, has what what's your sense of that? And and you know, is that going to continue or you know, holding the physical metal? I mean, usually that's not what we see in in the commodity markets these days. Well, there's an interesting dynamic in the uranium market right now in that. Um, you know, it, it has creeped into the energy picture, sort of, in my opinion, via the utility sector, right? Where, you know, just, just several months That's ago. That's something we know even less about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a very tricky sector, too. So this is why I, very, I tiptoe into the sector sort of carefully. But, you know, we had that terrible stress on um, the Texas power grid last summer. And I think that put a lot of utilities into focus in terms of how they're going to continue to produce power. Um, You know, within that conversation, uranium has always been sitting there like a sitting duck saying, you know, kind of, you know, the uranium uh, nuclear power is here if you want to use it. And we have to make this decision sort of which direction we're going to go politically with uranium because of the dangers of nuclear production, et cetera. But as this sort of, you know, concerns about the power grid, commodity rally, equity rally, some gobs of liquidity world starts to get rolling. People look at uranium and say, hey, this thing hasn't gone anywhere in a long time. And this is another physical commodity that we could be acquiring in some scale. And you turn around and Sprott, who is the resident expert at managing physical commodity ETFs, starts a well, for a while they've had it going now, but they have a uranium physical physical uranium ETF. So the more money that comes into this ETF, the more physical uranium he buys. And what happens is he then takes uranium supply away from, you know, different utilities that may need to use it, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of upsets the dynamic in that market. So 
there have been a lot of uranium bulls around for a long time that I'm very I'm thrilled for them that they're seeing their day. These guys have sent me the thesis and my DMs on Twitter for years now. And I'd always say to them, you know, I can't argue with the trade. I think it should work, but I can't decide what the catalyst is that spins yeah. uranium back into, you know, a, a, a household conversation or at least an energy household conversation. So now that it is, um, you know, rallying through toward now $40 a pound from the low 30s and the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust has sort of created this uranium, uranium eating monster, as one of my favorite uh, columnists called Doomberg has called it, you know, we've got the uranium market on the run. And so now we're going to get to that point where, you know, is this something that does it does this dynamic where the positive feedback loop of buying the Sprott physical uranium trust in a market that's operating as a deficit, does that just keep spinning you know into positive territory and keep the flywheel going where sprott keeps buying uranium and the price keeps going up so as we continue to operate at a deficit of around 30 or 40 million pounds a year i think it is it looks to me like this can continue it looks to me like the producers have all woken up like cameco and um next gen and things like that and if you look at the uranium etf which is ura a lot of the producers have really started running. So this is a trade that's a very viable energy trade right now, totally tradable, um, totally liquid, and it's probably going to attract a lot of retail investors. So what's going to happen? It's going to get totally crowded, and then it's yep. going to shit the bed one day. <laughs> right. So you know we have to decide where we are in that trade, where we want to be in it going forward, if we want to be in it. And you know, to me, it's something just like Bitcoin. You know, it's it's arrived on the. Um, high liquidity commodity crazed markets, yep. and I'm going to continue to monitor it. And if it stays a a liquid and tradable and trackable commodity the way it is, with with, with a great deficit story, it may be an investment for for TG Macro or my clients one day. It may not, but you know it has definitely creeped its way into the um, you know exciting commodity story profile, if you will. So we'll keep a close eye on Sprott Physical Uranium. Yeah, and, and everyone should. So if anyone's jumped in, and I love that you said that from, from the retail side or for somebody who doesn't maybe have that that past history, um, important to pay attention to what's going on um, and how trade, how crowded that trade gets. Because as you say, um, that often is the, you know, portends trouble ahead. So it'll be super you know, interesting to, to watch. To a, we don't want it to turn into a mean commodity. No, right? I know. I, I sort of, yeah, exactly. And I, I sort of hate that phrase, but we haven't be found a better one. You're right. So we have to keep saying it, but it's true. It just means that you have to really sort of lock in and pay attention to some of the sort of longer fundamentals. Fantastic explanation. Um, thank you for that. Cause I understood it much better. It looked diff a little bit different to me, but it, but it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense based on what yeah. you were talking about. Yeah. It um, fits into the profile of a typical commodity trade. It's just a little stickier because it's nuclear. I, I, I love that somebody is celebrating hard. Who's messaging you all the time. I'm sure they're going to continue to do that and celebrate the fact that they stuck with it for so long. But yeah. I also think you bring up a really good point. This is what happens when there's gobs of liquidity around, right? Pushing, pushing people into risk trades doesn't mean there's not fundamentals behind them, but you know, you get, um, you get a lot of volatility in that. So we all need to, to be careful, hopefully make some money, but be careful. And yeah. And you get curious traders like my friend Cuppy that we just did the interview with, you know, that start turning over rocks and, and, you know, making the story a lot more public. He's got a very, very big public presence and he is known for being in the right places at the right time. And so those kinds of dynamics feed on themselves really, really quickly in this market. We know that, right? So yeah, absolutely. We really we'll be really careful and just keep that in mind as we follow the trade.
good stuff. Tony, so much excellent information here today. Going to be really fun to watch what happens with your uh, Bitcoin position. We're going to follow along and we know we'll see you again soon. So thanks so yeah. much for being with me today. Appreciate it. And thanks for watching everyone. Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, we got to wrap it up for today. But tomorrow, Ash Bennington, who's enjoyed a much deserved vacation, I understand, is hosting Ro Powell. You're going to want to see that. In the meantime, we'll see you all on the Exchange Real Vision's social network where the conversation continues. Thanks. Take it easy, Tony. Thank you for having me, Maggie. Take care. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.